Christ. And so in this season where we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning from the Old Testament scriptures. God with us. <clears throat> it's quite remarkable, really, to see the Old Testament written so long ago pointing us to Jesus Christ. First and Second Chronicles is, again, like Ezra and Nehemiah, to be read as one book, as it was written as one scroll. It was later divided because of its length. But we read it as one book in the Hebrew Scriptures. It is the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's kind of tucked away in our Scriptures. As when you read it in ours, it's First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And you're like, I've already read this. Why am I reading it again, right? And it's often just kind of tucked away as something we have to read over again. But in the Hebrew Scriptures, it is the very last book, and it summarizes the entire history of Israel. And it's pointing us to recount God's faithfulness throughout all of Israel's history to give us a hope for the future. Why? Because as the Hebrew Scriptures close, guess what's happening? God is coming. Jesus is going to be born of a baby in a manger. And so the hope by reading First and Second Chronicles is you see and recount God's faithfulness throughout his, Israel's history to give them hope for the coming Messiah. The first word in the, in the book of First Chronicles is actually Adam. As in Adam and Eve, and the first nine chapters are genealogy and is calling us back to, to all of these heroes of the faith, all of their struggles, all of their problems, and yet God's faithfulness to bring about a king from the tribe of Judah, King David, as he is prominent in the book of First Chronicles as it will be promised to David that the son of David will have an eternal kingdom. We've been talking about these promises of God from the very beginning. The promise to Abraham that through his seed will be a blessing to all nations. The promise to Adam and Eve in the garden that one would come from woman to crush the head of the serpent. The promise now to David that one would come as the king in the line of David that his kingdom will have no end. Guess what? He will be the one who will build God's temple. I'll read that promise to you in First Chronicles, not Corinthians, Chronicles 17 verse 11. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers. Now this is God speaking to David, <clears throat> I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house 
and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So in some ways, we think of this and we think, well, Solomon is David's son who ended up building the temple as the house of God. But there's a problem in this. His kingdom was not established forever. We know this, right? We know that Solomon, at the end of his life, we've studied the the works of Solomon, the books of Solomon here. And we, we know that Solomon goes away from the Lord, the house is divided, everything messes up, and eventually God's people go into exile. (coughs) But Solomon is a type. He's a shadow. He's a glimpse. He is the son of David. He is filled with the wisdom of God. He does build the temple, yet He is not the one whose kingdom will last forever. So when we read this morning about Solomon building the temple and the spirit of the living God filling the temple, we need to look forward to what the New Testament writers talk about the temple of God. The temple that is being built is actually the church. The people of God, built by Christ himself, which then he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell and live in his temple. That may be a large claim to you, and you're going, what are you talking about, Rob? What are you talking about? (laughs) Well, let, let me show it to you, okay, before we even start the study of the scriptures this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, <coughs> excuse me, and members of the household of God. Understandable enough, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, <coughs> Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Whoa, whoa. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, now what is he talking about here? He is talking about the people of God Now, being the holy temple unto the Lord and filling the temple with God's Spirit. Paul relates the temple building as the building of the church, the people of God. He relates the the presence of God coming into the temple as the people of God in which the Holy Spirit comes into the life of the people of God. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, Peter does the same thing. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
for it stands in the scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whomever believes in him will not be put to shame. So what is Peter saying? We're living stones. The people of God are living stones and we're being built up into a spiritual house. What truths of scripture? Amen. Pointing us to Christ and what he will do in building God's temple. I don't know. they're, They're giving me something up here trying to Keep me alive. I'm fine. <clears throat> I'm going to go on as long as I can. And if I pass out, I pass out. <clears throat> what a gospel. Amen? <clears throat> that God came to dwell among men. Emmanuel. God with us. Let's read the scriptures this morning. Second Corinthians, Chronicles. No, we're in Chronicles. Chapter 5. We'll start in verse 11. <coughs> As they bring the ark of God into the temple. Yes, you can stand in, in honor of the reading of God's word. They bring this ark into the temple in which Solomon has built David has made all these plans for the son of David now builds this house in which God has put his name upon in the temple. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. This This is where we are in this reading. So let's read in verse 11. And when the priest came out of the holy place, For all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jedithan, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Amen. You can be seated. Father, as we come before you this morning and hear of your great mercy, your great love for us, what you did in the days of Solomon. Father, we ask that you would do in our day. Father, we are an unfaithful people, just like Israel was an unfaithful people. And yet, your presence and your name, you 
placed upon them. You gave them, <coughs> Father, your presence. And Father, we thank you that we are able to have the presence of God in our midst because of the sacrifice of Christ. And Lord, as we come before you this morning in worship, to hear and respond to you, we pray that we are overwhelmed in gratitude, in love, that you would choose to dwell amidst your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, after reading this um, <coughs> many times, excuse me, the one thing that stood out to me was, for he is good. And his steadfast love endures forever is the song that they choose to sing. It's the song that was sung when David brought the ark up to the tabernacle. It's the song that they sung in the days of Zerubbabel and Ezra in which they rebuild the temple. He is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. It's the summary of the Old Testament. How fitting the last book of the Bible and the centerpiece of that book would summarize the Old Testament for us. God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It is the Hebrew word, steadfast love, hesed, which is over and over again in the scriptures. The covenantal love, the, the faithfulness of God. It is, it is that goodness or that faithfulness of God that brings about the promises of God found in Christ Jesus. Amen? Um, if you haven't picked up your family advent... You need to, but we were doing our family advent um, this week, and we were asked to draw a picture of a time that we felt scared or alone. Um, <clears throat> and so I drew my picture on my paper of when I felt scared and alone. My wife did, and my children did, and both my children wrote about a time they got lost. One was at SeaWorld, and one was at another water park. Not the finest moment as a parent, I can assure you. But one thing I can say is that in those 23.5 seconds that they were lost, <laughs> our children knew that their parents were looking for them, right? That we would never leave them alone. And praise the Lord that he's reminding us this morning, according to this passage of scripture, that he has not left us. He has not left his, his people Israel. They're not left wondering if he's still there. They're not left wondering if he cared for them. 
And the same is true of the baby born in the manger. We are not left wondering, did he come for us? Yes, he came for us. He came for you. You who have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Have no part in his kingdom. He now says, welcome home. Welcome home. He wants to dwell with you in his spirit. He has not abandoned you, church. He is the God who is good and his steadfast love endures forever. You see, in the days of Solomon, God's glory showed itself in a magnificent way. Displaying God himself filling the temple. John would write later in John chapter 1 verse 14, speaking of Christ, and the word became flesh and dwelt, or literally tabernacle. He made his, his tent among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, <coughs> full of grace and truth, and that's what it says at the end of chapter 5, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The glory of the Lord came down and dwelt among men as Jesus Christ. And now God wants to show his glory through his people, the church, the people of God who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. At this time in Second Chronicles, the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into the temple. I, I've, I've said this already, but uh, <coughs> it's not the first time the Ark has been brought up to this temple mount. The first time under King David, they carry the Ark up the mountain to be placed in the tabernacle because the temple has not been built, the permanent place. The, the tabernacle is there. And they don't carry the ark up the mountain the way that God has designed it according to Scripture. You see, the pagans had the ark for a while, and so they transported it on a cart. And so the Israelites thought, well, if they've been transporting it on, on a cart, maybe we should transport it on a cart instead of carrying it on poles, which God had designed it to be carried upon because his presence dwelt in the middle of the ark, that the representative of God's presence dwelling among his people, that's what the ark was for. <clears throat> and so instead of carrying it on poles, they carry it on a cart, and the cart begins to tip, and one of the priests who is, who is, who is there thinks to himself, man, I cannot let this ark hit the ground. So he holds out his hand, and he touches the ark, to try to make the ark not tip over. And he, he dies. Right there on the spot. And David's almost a little bit angry when this happens. 
my priest, who's attempting to do what is right in my eyes, yet it's representative of really all of us, the unclean person, the unclean human in the presence of God. When we get into the presence of God, we touch the presence of God, we enter into the presence of God, we are unclean and we are annihilated because of his holiness and righteousness. So this time as they bring the ark up, they're taking every precaution, let me tell you, all right? To be clean as they enter into the holy of holies, the most holy place as they bring the ark. Look at verse nine with me. First Chronicles chapter five. Verse 9, and the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they're there to this day. So the poles were so long, (coughs) they wanted to make sure no one touched the ark, right? As they carried this thing into the holy of holies, they have poles extra long as to make no mistakes. And then verse 11, and when the priest came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. This is our first point this morning. All of creation was meant to bring glory to God. As these priests began this worship unto the Lord and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. They worshiped the great God of heaven. And God has actually created us to worship him. And in order to worship him, we enter into his presence. To declare that God is worthy is to bring him glory. Thus, a, any type of worship unto God is declaring that our God is worthy, right? So when we give in our tithe or our offering, we are declaring our God is worthy of our money. When we worship in song, we are declaring that our God is worthy of our voices being raised unto the Lord. When we declare our God worthy with our life, with our moral compass, we declare that through worship unto the King. And that's what they are doing here. They are declaring God is worthy. We have a problem though. We like Uzzah, the priest who got caught touching the ark, we're dirty. So we can declare God worthy all we want to But if we are unclean, we are not bringing glory to God. 
We cannot enter into his presence because of our uncleanliness. You see, that's what that description means if you read in verse 11, for all the priests came out of the holy press, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves, made themselves holy. <coughs> but what does that entirely mean? How do they make themselves holy? How do they consecrate themselves to enter into the presence of God, to declare him worthy of worship, to declare to see the glory of God? Exodus 29 describes this process. Go home tonight and read all of Exodus 29. Because I don't have time to summarize it all. And then read Revelation 7. If you were here last week, we talked about the people of God washing their robes in the blood of a lamb. That's exactly what they do in Exodus chapter 29. They go through this whole process of becoming clean to enter into the temple to minister. And the process requires sacrifice of clean animals in which they lay their hands upon the animal, signifying the payment of their sin is being paid upon the animal's death. And they offer these sacrifices through the blood. They're being cleansed, in effect, so that they can enter into the presence of God. And they go through sacrifice after sacrifice and the cleansing with the blood, the cleansing of the altar in which the animal is placed on so the animal would be made clean. And they lay the hands on the animal to represent their sin being placed upon the animal for the sacrifice. And then they cleanse their robes And they place on them these clean robes so that they can enter in to the presence of the Lord. And this is how Exodus 29 ends. Exodus 29 verse 44. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also, Aaron the high priest also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So God makes all of these things clean so that these priests could enter in to offer these lambs up. for the cleansing of the people. And this is happening, right, in in chapter 5 of 2 Chronicles, after all of the wickedness we have seen from Israel, after the time of judges in which everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is God still saying, you are my people. I will make my dwelling with you, my people. 
And the people understand this. And their response is God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. The people have seen how bad they are. And yet God is still dwelling among us. And that's why they declare his steadfast love. So many questions for our heart today as we witness this gathering for worship. My question is this, how do you come to worship the Lord in your gathering? Do you come ready for worship? Is your heart set? upon the goodness of God and his steadfast love and what he's done in your life? Do you come to worship for the Lord alone? Or are there parts of your heart that come to the gathering in hopes of some benefit for yourself? Maybe a nostalgic song or some type of feeling or hoping to find entertainment How do you come to the gathering in which you gather together in the presence of God to worship the holy God? It's always important how we come before the Lord. Understanding the weight of the gathering. Understanding the discipline of preparing for the gathering. Understanding the priority of the gathering. Do you expect the Lord and his presence to be among you when you gather together? And when you worship, is your heart song, is your heart and your voice declaring that God is good and his steadfast love endures forever? This is how God's people came together. It is how God's people ought to come together today. I'm going to read the passage without the parentheses which describe the priest. Verse 11 starts, and when the priest came out of the holy place and then I'm going to go back down to 13. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because the cloud of the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This is point number two. He dwells among his people because of his steadfast love. The the people declare in their song the steadfast love of the Lord. 
is the reason for the dedication of the temple and it's the reason why his presence is among his, his people. I don't think it's a coincidence that God's presence manifests itself when the people declare the steadfast love of God. It was God's steadfast love that brought Christ from heaven to earth. A result of the cleansing of his people that now the Holy Spirit dwells among them. Emmanuel came, God with us, born in a manger a little over 2,000 years ago. And it was the steadfast love that brought him here. It was the steadfast love of God that put him upon the cross. Reflect upon this song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. It was his steadfast love that built his temple, the church. 1 Corinthians 6.19 goes on. Paul talks about this again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Second Corinthians 6.16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What a promise, huh? That Christ would build his church and in turn build the temple as a dwelling place for God to be among his people. Incredible understanding of scripture. You see, the temple was never intended to contain God in one place. That's not the idea It represented his presence among the people. God fills all and is in all. The place where he set his name was on the temple, upon Jerusalem, upon the people of God. And Solomon even understood this a little bit later in chapter 6, verse 18. He says, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? (laughs) Yes, he will, Solomon. (laughs) Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house 
that I have built. Solomon understands God's not contained in a house, but his glory will fill the earth. He fills the earth with his glory through the new temple, the people of God. That is why we go to the nations. Because the glory of God is deserving to go to the ends of the earth. God places his name upon those who have placed their faith in Christ. Verse 13 And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments and praise to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This is our third point this morning. The Lord desires to fill his temple with his presence. The Lord desires to fill his temple with his presence. He desires to fill his church with his presence. The statement here that the priest could not minister because the glory of God reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha. You say, why? Why is that? Well, Mary, she sits at the feet of Jesus because she is so enamored by him. She just wants to hear Jesus. She wants to be in his presence. She cannot leave his presence. And Martha is running around the house trying to do all of these activities trying to serve and to cook and to clean and do all these things. And she is so overwhelmed. Why isn't Mary getting up to help me? And Jesus says to the busy bee, Martha, Luke 10, 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which cannot be taken away from her. When's the last time you just had to be Mary and you couldn't be Martha? Because the presence of God was so overwhelming, you couldn't even minister. All you could do was marvel at the glory of God. Sometimes we think to ourselves, we've got to do this. We've got to do that. I'll tell you, as your pastor, I think about that often. Man, giving was down last week. What did I do wrong, <laughs> right? Maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to do that. We had somebody leave the church. I, I probably messed up. You make sure we go talk to this person or 
talk to this new family. Sometimes we, we just need to marvel at the glory of God and declare he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It's the people of God who are to be filled by the Spirit. And I believe when they're filled by the Spirit, they're completely controlled by the Spirit. And it's these people who are so consumed with God himself, they are led by the Spirit in every area of their life. And that's what we do every Sunday. We come to the gathering to sit and to worship together at the feet of Jesus. In the busyness of our life, let us not forget why we do that. He has saved us. He has cleansed us. He has dwelt among us and he has given his spirit to be with us. Let us worship the God who is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you during this Christmas season that we would not forget that the glory of God has come down from heaven to be born as a baby. Let us not forget that you have cleansed us to dwell in our presence through the Holy Spirit that you have graciously given us. Father, we thank you for the power of Christ to overcome in this earth, in this life. Father, we ask that um, our people here today would respond to the glory of God, not to a message not to a pastor, but they would respond to the word of God. Hearing what happened many years ago in the days of Solomon and recounting that God is good and his steadfast love endures forever, that they would give their life to Christ. That they would say, God is the true God of heaven and all I can do is worship him. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our life as we respond in song. We pray that we would lift our voices to God who is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.